They were the heroes from the future. Teenagers protecting the universe from those that would sow the seeds of chaos. Each had unique powers and abilities. And though they often had their differences, they came together to save the day as the Legion of Superheroes. Now you can be a part of their adventures and learn the history of the future in the Legion Clubhouse. This week on the Legion Clubhouse, murder. <laughs> Superboy and the Legion of Superheroes number 239, Murder Most Foul, published May 1978. Written by Jim Starlin with art by Jim Starlin and Joe Rubenstein. Synopsis, a legionnaire accused of murder, but is he truly innocent? Here we go into Superboy and the Legion of Superheroes 239, Matthew. Murder most foul. We're going to find out that the duck did it in the end. No, it's not a duck. It's not? It's not a duck. It looks like a duck. It quacks like it's a duck. Jim Starlin, baby. Starlin. Has a, you remember a few weeks ago when I was all like, Woo, Cockrum! Woo, Cockrum! Now I'm going, Woo, Starlin. Uh, who's Woo here Starlin. For, for this episode? He's here for one half of the issues, and that's it. In fact, of the three stories we do this week, Jim Starlin appears once. There's a reason for that. We'll talk about that later, but... I mean, we might, as well get it, we might as well get it out of the way now, since this is the only time that Jim Starlin shows up in this week's episode. <laughs> Might, okay. might as well not hold out for people. Well, because there's more Starlin coming up, but here's the deal. This issue, Legion number 239, mm-hmm. was written as a teaser, basically a lead-in to what was going to be a double-sized follow-up story. And I've actually, there's there's differing thoughts on it. Some people were saying that it was going to be a DC special series, which is like a giant issue. Some people are saying that it was going to be another tabloid, like the wedding tabloid, mm. which was the collector's edition. Mm-hmm. But... The story that Starlin actually wanted to write, the big double-sized story that wraps up this issue's murder, actually got bumped. Basically, the DC implosion killed the the, the giant-sized line that they were wanting. And so about a year from now, we're actually going to bump into the story that Starlin intended to have follow-up out of this issue. But because of things that happened in between, Starlin actually had his name taken off of that issue actually those two issues when they come around to legion 250 and 251 but this issue is just oh, i love it's a, it. it's, it's a really good story page, but man. you know so here's the thing title murder mm-hmm. most foul obviously not about Murder's about foul. a duck um can come from a lot of places you know we had uh, bob dylan's 2020 song uh murder most foul that's probably not where this book drew right. its inspiration well this uh, is the future there is a quote from hamlet which is the original source uh also probably not where they are drawing uh the the inspiration for this book there's a 1964 miss marple movie from mgm uh that is based on a 1952 novel called mrs mcginty is dead by agatha christie that's a hercule perot novel uh and Ever. kind of a lot of people Ever. point to that as kind of the end of the Perot uh, stories where he's basically being phased out. Um, and the studio didn't want to do Hercule, uh, so they went with Ms. Marple instead. Basically what this movie is about is about a woman who is discovered hanged in her bedroom, apartment, something like that. And the suspect is right there when it happens. Uh, you know, it's basically what happens here. We uh, right. get to see our our lead character uh, uh, show up in, in this, and he's walking down the street, and, uh, <laughs> you know, as you do on Rimbor, and he goes to the Hotel Orion, which is definitely a pay-by-the-hour type <laughs> joint. Oh, absolutely, yeah. And uh, he meets a former love interest, and he and discovers, Reed. yeah, we'll talk about her in just a moment, but discovers that uh, he's been set up, uh, somebody is there, knocks him out, kills her. When he wakes up, all of the United Planets thinks that he is the the murderer simply because mm-hmm. of his proximity to the murder and the fact that he fled and left his flight ring and all these things behind it. So I think that the murder most foul is drawing its inspiration from the from the MGM 1964 movie. Oh, absolutely. Starlin is a movie buff. And the way this issue is set up, 
Uh, first of all, the murder is not just he was there. The murder is the murder is done with basically a frap gun beam that emulates flash vision. Mm, yeah, yeah. So essentially, it's one of those things where Ultra Boy obviously is the murder because he's there. He's got the powers, and Anne Reed called him to Rimbor with some sort of news and. Man, I got to tell you, I'm looking at Anne Reed, and some women have a smoky eye, but she's got like a whole forest fire where, like, her entire eyelid. It is looks just like she's she's got thing. some raccoon eyes going, is what she's got going. Uh, it Everybody looks like somebody's that too. somebody's popped her in the face a couple of times, is what it's it looks makeup. like. It's I guess makeup. some people use uh, that much makeup to cover the abuse at home. Remember, if you are suffering from abuse by a loved one, you can contact people, and uh, they're they're there to help. There's no reason for you to stay in an abusive relationship. Uh, PSA. There's wow. your rainbow star. Uh, so Anne Rind, uh, the former love interest, I, I can't get away from the fact that it's so close to Anne Rand. Oh, intentionally so. I mean, and, and that's that, what I'm wondering, because she kind of follows. I don't know a whole lot about objectivism. I've never read Fountainhead. I've never read Atlas Shrugged. But I've read I, Mr. A comics. I think I know. <laughs> so Anne Rand is really into, you know, objectivism. And I think that the character Anne in this book kind of follows the four main tenets of objectivism. And she kind of states them in the few moments and panels that we get to see her on screen. There's first of all, there's reality. So mm-hmm. she realizes that things aren't what they used to be. She has a reason for it that Rimbar has gone to to poo. And so right. that's the reason why she's in the situation she is. And credits don't go as far as they, they uh, need to go. Then the third part of objectivism is self-interest. I need to do whatever I need to do to survive. And so she she implies that, you know, she's selling herself for money to do whatever it takes to get that that filthy lucre credits that uh, Rimbor is is, uh, so famous for. And then the fourth element of objectivism is capitalism. And she's going to make a few bucks off of selling out her ex-boyfriend in this story. So I think Anne Rind is Anne Rand. And that in this short, like, page and a half that we get to see her around, she exhibits <laughs> all four of the elements of Anne Rand's objectivism philosophy. And I, I think that that is by design. I think, well, first of all, Starlin has said he named her after, uh, oh, named Reed after okay. Anne Rand. Yeah. But more importantly, I think that that's really one of the kind of details that you'll find in a really, really complicated maybe overcomplicated script like the kind you get from jim starlin but i really appreciate just the depth of character that we get out of the that page and a half of Anne. i mean visually we see her she's got a hookah she's obviously you know dressed in a manner that indicates that she has become a lady of the evening i mean there is a robot uh, uh barker out front of the hotel orion telling telling ultra boy to come inside for the good times yeah, it's a R2-D2 gone bad. But yeah, you get to a point where you immediately, the, on that first panel, I'm like, oh, this is not good, Joe. Something is wrong. This woman is not healthy. And she has brought you here for all the wrong reasons. And it's really, really nice to see the art and the story just kind of wind into each other. And then you see the mysterious hooded man shoot him down and then kill Anne. And I'm like, oh, a twist puts on a twist. I'm just like, whoa. Yeah, I think you saw it coming. And the, really, there's some really nice art and sequences in here because as he's talking about, you know, as she's talking about, you know, I have to look out for myself. There's this really tiny panel of a gun being raised. It's a very small, mm-hmm. narrow panel. And then he's like, what are you talking about? And then you go to a, a, a two shot of them with the window and then it looks like a target and the gun again with the blaster shooting off is very, very well done. In fact, I really like the art in this issue because it has... It feels like proto Archie Legion stuff in the way that a lot of the characters are drawn. Yeah. And you can definitely see the influence that just even the short run that someone had in the Bronze Age on that later Legion. Mm-hmm. A lot of times when people say, hey, we're revamping the Legion, this is the tail end of the run. This is the very, you know, we're at the point right now, 78, 79. That's where most of the people who want to revamp the Legion kind of cut off. If you look at the Archie Legion, they never got to uh, to Dawnstar. They barely got to Wildfire, and they went to Wildfire in a you know, sort of a different way. This This Legion is some of the most memorable, and this particular issue 
really, really raises the stakes for everybody. I mean, I don't think Ultra Boy has been this narratively cool since the adventure comics days. I don't know if he's, I mean, define narratively cool. I mean, as far as a, you know, as your leading man, North by Northwest yeah. on the run from, from killers or uh, on the run from his captors and you know he's innocent, uh, if mm-hmm. that's what you mean by cool, yes, I can see he's got the the Jimmy Stewart, Cary Grant uh, kind of thing going in an Alfred Hitchcock kind of way. But if you mean, is he cool? I, I don't know if I would call him cool. Uh, he's I, a guy I, who is trying to deal with a situation. Is, though, in this issue, he gets a little special treatment. And the line that sticks out for me uh, is the the line about, imagine you're one of the most powerful men in the galaxy but you still choose to hang out with two of the very few men who are more powerful. It's the point where Ultra Boy is, a, you know, he's decided he's going to run. He's taken out the Legionnaires that it will be easy to take out. He's taken out Sun Boy and Star Boy, and he's about to face down Superboy and Monel, and he has to outmaneuver and outthink them. Yeah, he does a top and, gun cruise missile, so they run into each other kind yeah, of thing. He he does this moment, and you're like, you know, I, I heard a description once of Ultra Boy. The best Ultra Boy stories are just Han Solo with superpowers. And this is a perfect example of that. Ultra Boy outmaneuvers 10. They sent the most powerful Legionnaires. They sent the heaviest heavy hitters, Colossal Boy, Superboy, Monel, Wildfire. And he took them down because he knew them and because he was smart and because he was cool. Also, they, they, they also sent, they also sent uh, someone else after him, which is probably the best bit in this entire comic mm-hmm. because no one since 1958 will know who this guy is. Marla has returned. <laughs> Marla. You remember Marla from his from, very, from first his appearance. very, very first appearance. And I don't think we ever saw Marla after that. If I'm trying to remember, I we don't think did. Marla Marla appeared. Marla's last appearance would have been uh, back in the action days, action 392. Uh, very briefly, Marla appeared maybe two or three times as the Legion's adult advisor. Yeah, but he's like so far in the background that, you oh, know, yeah. you're going back to 392. Nobody, nobody going alive, back 12 years, basically. nobody alive who's reading comics in 1979 remembers Marla and Marla. And no so, one was alive back then. <laughs> so here's the thing. If you if anybody watches or watched, I don't even know if it's still a TV show or not. Uh, the CSI shows, you know, they have CSI Las Vegas and Miami and New York and all these other things. One of the things that they do just, just routinely in every episode is whoever is the big guest star. And usually whoever they, uh, they bring on first is the murder suspect, right? So they kind of, uh, they kind of Columbo it without showing. Yeah. They kind of Columbo it without showing the, the villain of the week, uh, doing the dirty deed. So when Marla shows up, I'm like, Marla's been doing an aging process. Huh? What does that what does that mean? Why is he all of a sudden showing up? Maybe Marla is the one behind all of this, because, you know, that's how it works in uh, CSI stories. Yeah, that's how it worked on Perry Mason. Yep. That's how it worked on Columbo. And it's a really nice dodge because spoilers, it's not. Um, but more importantly, Marla showing up is that nice continuity tieback that Levitz eventually really gets great at. And so you see it here in the Starlin story where you're just like, yeah, oh man, that's awesome. And then of course we have that moment, probably the best moment for chameleon boy in years. Ultra boy makes a run for it. He gets away from Dawn stars tracking power. He gets away from super voice tele- telepathic vision. He gets away from everybody he gets to his hidey hole, his safe house. He sits down and the sofa turns into chameleon boy who says, there's a reason why I'm the leader of the espionage squad. Yeah. I've got a file just, on all y'all. Exactly. Well, and it's, and it's not that it's not that, um, ultra boy has gone to his safe house. He goes back to Rimbor and he's like, if one of the things about the, um, espionage squad has taught us is that we need to, uh, keep caches of clothing around everywhere. So he goes walking around Rimbor in a uh, in a uh, death death an stalkers execution, yeah. executioner's uh, thing, or a, a guy that's in charge of the un- uh, Undertaker's costume. And then he it's goes to Undertaker. a friend's he goes to a friend's house because his friend, for whatever reason, uh, Ultra Boy, you might want to look into your friend because he has lined his entire apartment 
with uh, the the vibranium material that no one can penetrate. Inertron. The inertron. And so I don't yep. know how the guy was able to get enough of this rare material to coat his an entire apartment. But I would immediately after this issue is over, start looking into your best friend who is mysteriously off planet uh, <laughs> and figure out why, he, what kind of things he's doing in that apartment that he doesn't want anybody seeing or breaking into. So, but yes, I don't, the chameleon boy reveal is really cool. It is. I don't think they've established it yet. But eventually we find that Joe's friends on Rimbor are gang types who ah, well, run see, that illegal it. hooch. See, see, even without knowing all this, even without it being explained, you know enough that something's yep. not right. Something doesn't sit right. And of course, that is what happens with Wildfire, who's in charge of the Legion, as they go off searching for uh, Ultra Boy. Ultra Boy escapes in one of the Legion spaceships, blows it up so that they can't follow him. And he's like, hey, RG Brand can afford one of these. They're only a million dollars a pop. Uh, but, rich, then, but then he goes back and he goes to this apartment and a uh, wildfire is like, you know what? He probably went back to Rimbor. Scan the planet with your X-ray vision. He's going to be in one of he's going to be in a place where you guys can't see him. And they're like, OK, uh, so that means government facilities or, uh, you know, other places. And uh, uh, wildfire has to smack model and says, no, stupid. Look for places that are not those because that's where he will be. <laughs> It's actually kind of neat because we get to the point where they, you know, they're looking and they're trying to figure it out, but they have the moment. And I think it's in this story. I may be thinking of the next story where they're like, just look for the place that yeah, that's you can't what I'm see into. Wild, yeah. Wildfire is like, look in the places where you can't see into, where your x-ray vision is blocked because that's where he's going to be. And Monel's yeah. like, you mean like government facilities or prisons? And Wildfire's like, no, you idiot. Other places, not those places. It's going to be in the place you least expect it. Narrow it down. You know he's not going to go into a place where he's absolutely wanted, so go look in those other places. And that's where they kind of figure out where he's at. And so Monel makes his escape after Chameleon Boy's like, I believe you, but uh, I'm going to have to do some investigatings. Yeah, run as fast as you can, and I'll be there when you get caught. Another just great character moment for Cam. He's so smart and he's so confident and he's just like you know what i'm gonna let you go and i know we're gonna find you you do your thing and i'll do mine it's a great moment and it's one of those things where you're just like yes this is why you're cool chameleon boy even though you wear orange and purple yeah and this is this gets back to again the murder most foul tying into agatha christie stories and that kind of stuff because this is this is essentially how that book i went and did a kind of a quick summary of the book that's basically what's going on with this guy. He's trying to prove his innocence, but mm-hmm. everyone's like, no, the the facts are right here. You got the flashy eye vision, the ex-girlfriend. You left your ring at the scene. We don't need to go to trial with this. We can kill you right now. Yeah, they are very aggressive, and it, it seems like maybe too aggressive, although we've seen this before from the Legion when Starboy yeah, when he got, was accused uh, killed of somebody. Yeah. Well, Starboy actually admitted to murder, but yeah, I mean, the Legionnaires do not take breaking that one big rule in any way lightly. And so you get to a point, you know, Timberwolf threatens to rip out Ultra Boy's throat if he has to. And then Ultra Boy reminds him that I'm slightly more powerful than you and punches him into the next zip code. And unfortunately, walks right into Colossal Boy, followed by Superboy and Monel. I mean, but it's another. It's another example of just how awesome Ultra Boy gets to be in this issue. I mean, he's facing down Legionnaires. He's facing down the I most mean, powerful Legionnaires with his brains and his fists. It's neat. Yeah, I, this is just somebody who's desperate. That's what it is. No, he's awesome, man. No, he's he's desperate he because he knows. He outsmarts them. He outsmarts them. He has them. to run. He has to run. He this is them. This is uh, the Harrison Ford, uh, I didn't kill my wife, I don't care movie. That's what this Harrison is. Ford was awesome in that movie. I mean, I'm not saying he's not. I'm just saying that this is the this is the act of someone who's desperate. They're doing whatever it takes to try to get away. It's not, uh-huh, I'll show these guys how cool I am by getting away and using their powers against them. He's not I think like we that. We have a different dis- definition of cool. I mean, I, I I really think we do. And I and, and because again, this is somebody who is desperate, who's doing the things that he needs to do to try to get away, so he has more time to at least stop and think. And there's a scene in that apartment where he's like just crushed on the sofa before Chameleon Boy shows up. It's just like I have no idea what I'm going to do. 
I am at a loss for why this is happening or why my friends won't believe me. This is a guy yeah. who is in dire straits, who doesn't know where to turn. And he's putting faith in Chameleon Boy that Chameleon Boy has the answer or will help him out. Just like he's not expecting his girlfriend, Phantom Girl, to do anything. He's just like, look, I'm going to run. I'm glad you believe me, but there's no way I'm hanging around here. That's not that is that's not cool. That's somebody who is desperate. But his resourcefulness and the way well, and that's that what you do. And that's what you do. When, that's what you do when you're desperate, though. Are you have to cool. use your resources. Are super cool. Not everybody could do what he. We've seen villains in Dire Straits. Well, who villains could aren't not cool. Do what Ultra Boy villains does. Aren't, villains aren't cool. I understand that, but I think you're you're splitting hairs here. In that Ultra Boy is really really awesome throughout this story, and even though he's forced to be in this role, forced to run from his friends, and forced to be Richard Kimball, I didn't do it. That's my Harrison Ford, by the way. Um, yeah, work on that a little bit. He does really, really well in a situation where most of the people in the galaxy would have been immediately taken down. There would not have been three close calls. There would not have been escaping to Rimbor and hiding in an inertron room had it been anybody lesser. And I really like how well Ultra Boy comes off. He's not the only one, but Starlin writes all of these characters as being very smart, very resourceful, very good at their job, except for Wildfire. Well, and except for Monel and Superboy, because you know they Mon-El do. Monel and Superboy get outsmarted, but they, Mon-El they and do, Superboy they do, do run. They do run into each other and crack their heads like a giant coconut. Yes, but you know they also come around and you know do the old one-two oopsie daisy. Yeah, and I punch think the Ultra problem. The thing that I have a problem with in this story, though, mm-hmm. is at no point are we given an opportunity to see Chameleon Boy and Superboy having a conversation. Because mm-hmm. what ends up happening is Chameleon Boy starts using his head and going back through all of his files and going, ah, there's a problem here in the way that some of them, that at least one of the members is acting. Let me go talk to Superboy and say, Superboy, can you use your secret hearing and see if there's something going on with wildfire? And Superboy does. And yet still he goes and punches Monel in the face only then to say, ah, but it's wildfire who's really responsible for all of this. And that's the part of the story that just doesn't quite sit right. It's a very good story, but the, at least yeah. some point where you need to see these two talking with one another or at least having Superboy going, you're lucky I pulled my punch back there because Chameleon Boy and I are on the case. See, I like the fact that it kind of comes out of left field, that they've been secretly working together and that Chameleon Boy's plan has just happened. I like the fact that a story can show you things after they happen and be like, oh, wow, big surprise twist. I really appreciate that. And it needs to make sense, I, though. But see, at no I, point have we ever seen Chameleon Boy have an option to go and meet with Superboy to have that conversation. Well, yeah, I don't think the story really does allow for that. But yeah, and that's the point. It also now, there doesn't was a, allow for too much in the way of clues that Wildfire is an imposter. Right. And that's another problem, right? The only way that this can be done is by some shady business going on off panel that no one sees. And this feels like kind of the old pull the wool over the reader's eyes that they used to do back in the fifties. Uh, where it's like, ah, it was this all along, but at least in the fifties is like, did you notice that his hands were on backwards? You know, that kind of stuff depends though on on whether you're expecting it, like an Ellery queen mystery where they play fair and show you all of the, the, uh, clues and expect you to figure it out or whether they're playing a Perry Mason mystery where Perry Mason just goes dun 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 at the end and you know explains to you that I'm Raymond Burr and someday I'll play Ironside and this is how I figured it all out. So I, I, I agree it doesn't work as an Ellery Queen mystery and it doesn't give us a lot of what we need to try and unravel it by ourselves, but it also doesn't give us the solution to the mystery. Well, I mean, it, it <laughs> we does. We get to the end of Cam is like, I know who did it, but I can't tell you yet. Well, and 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 like you said, this is a setup for something that was supposed to come out at some yep. point in the future. Um, but you know, the whole thing about ah, we will get you out because now we know that Wildfire is a robot. We can put the blame all on the robot who's controlling the robot. I think they solved the mystery of, and I and I think the implication is that Robot Wildfire committed the crime while under you know being controlled by someone else. 
Right. And at the end, we do see the hooded man go, <laughs> right. next time. So I we do have. You, gadget, rah, rah, so rah. From, from the standpoint of, did they find out who did it? Yes. But now there is another layer that needs to be peeled back uh, in order for, you know, the story to progress to the next level. And then presumably they're going to get up to a point and then they're going to have to peel an onion back. I mean, that's how how I would do it is you build this up where they keep pulling the 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 layers back piece by piece until they finally get to the end. And they discover that R.J. Brand really is Chameleon Boy's father. Will you stop with that? That's not for another year or so. And it doesn't doesn't have anything to do with this. So overall, I really enjoyed this issue uh, of the yeah. two that we've that we are reading this week. This one is is one of is the best. And oh, of the last yeah. couple of episodes that we've recorded and issues that we've read, I like this one a whole lot. This is the best Legion issue in a while. And I think part of that is just Starlin coming in and throwing well, some new blood at it. I, I think it's because Marla is back. It's not Marla. Marla is ridiculous and you know it. No, Marla's cool. Marla's ridiculous, and you know it. Look you how, just appreciate Marla young, being the adult in the room. Look how young and trim he looks after his rejuvenation treatments that he's had up on Mars. That you know what? That guy is is pumping for a Legion position himself. The president of the United Planets has changed hairstyles and races 15 times in the he's, last 20 issues. Marla's just, he's, he's also, small change. He's nothing. He's also one of them shapeshifters. We'll find that out very soon. If you enjoy the show, we would appreciate your support. You can find out more and become a Legion Clubhouse member at patreon.com slash major spoilers. Uh, Matthew, what's going on with the uh, the print publications of, well, of the Legion and Superboy? We are officially now in, uh, what, 1978, the beginning of 1978. Well, which we're in the middle. We're May May of 78. So as we come to the end yeah, of the fiscal year. Yeah, but a May year, book would have been on the stands at the end of January, at the beginning of February 1978. We're at the four months early period. So this issue actually has, this issue, I should say, Superboy 239 has the statement of number of copies, basically the statement of ownership. So as of October 1977, the average number of Legion issues sold per month, 184,528. The actual number for the previous issue uh, as of October 1st would have been 125,254. So basically, what, 10 times as much as a successful comic now? In 2020? Uh, no, no, because most comics, uh, mm-hmm. at least in the top 10, will sell around 100,000. Uh, okay. So if you're looking at the, and, and again, when you look at the diamond uh, numbers, those are based solely on the number of copies that are shipped to the direct market. That doesn't include mm-hmm. copies shipped to newsstands. That doesn't include digital comics. That doesn't mm-hmm. include copies uh, shipped to bookstores or grocery stores mm-hmm. that may sell comics. So what they use or what they were using for a long time up until DC decided to no longer distribute through Diamond was they used um, Batman as kind of the marker. Now, back around this time, they may have been using uh, Spider-Man. Well, this is before the the uh, before Diamond became the main distributor. But in the early days, Spider-Man would have been the benchmark. So on average, Batman always sells 100,000 copies. So when you look at the top 10 and you see what the index number is, you'll see something like 197 for like Captain America number one, which is in the number one spot. That means that it sold 97% higher than Batman, which estimates to sell 100,000 copies. So um, the number one selling copy, the number one selling comic today, Mm -hmm. in most instances, will sell between 150, around 150 to 200,000 copies just depending on the title and the month and those kinds of things. So 184 definitely puts this in the top five, uh, I would mm-hmm. say, of comic selling today. Um, I haven't done an average number because, you know, there are some comics that literally sell 300 copies or less. Right. Uh, for most people, they look at, uh, at least at DC, uh, about 3,000 copies being the break-even point, that if it's selling 3,000 copies, it's at least covering all of its costs. So, you know, this this comic is doing really well. I don't know how other comics are doing at this time period because I don't have any of the numbers on that. Do you have any of the numbers from the previous filing times 
that we did? Can no. you tell if this is going up or down at this it's, point? If I recall correctly, I want to say the previous set was about 175,000, but the it's average. also, yeah, it's been several episodes since I've paid attention. And, you know, also worth noting, we're, we're going from, in most cases, the actual old copies, but we don't always have access to the old copies. So sometimes we're looking at, you know, an issue that doesn't come right, with that right, type right, of information. Right. Yeah, so, yeah, 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 yeah. You know, when it pops up, I like to notice it. But also when you look at 184,000 and you realize that at this point, Legion is not DC's top selling book yet. It's about to be. I, the next few years, but it's, you have to wonder what is a book like Superman or a book like, you know, Batman or, a, you know, even a popular book. Uh, so popular. <laughs> so when, when you talk about popular books, there mm -hmm. are books and I don't know where things are sitting in 1977, but mm -hmm. in the mid sixties, uh, uncle Scrooge was selling a million. Well, they were shipping a million copies of uncle Scrooge comics. Mm -hmm. so that was more than what Superman was selling at the time. Uh, I don't know what any Disney comics in the 70s were selling. I would bet that, you know, 1977, we're looking at some Star Wars stuff over at Marvel. I bet it's selling a heck of a lot more than 184,000 copies. So, yes, there are titles definitely during this time period that are selling a heck of a lot better than Superboy and the Legion of Superheroes. But mm -hmm. this book, I am still betting money that it would be in the top uh, five, if not the top ten of of, let's say, May of 1978. It would definitely be up there in that top 10. Superboy and the Legion of Superheroes number 240. The Man Who Manacled the Legion. Published June 1978. Written by Paul Levitz with art by Alan Kupperberg and Howard Chaikin. Synopsis. Grimbor the Chainsman returns for deadly revenge. Dawnstar Rising, published June 1978, written by Paul Levitz with art by James Sherman. Synopsis, can Dawnstar learn to work with her teammates before tragedy strikes? The man who manacled the Legion. Oh my gosh, we're going to find out who's under the hood. Who's under the hood? We I get an so, answer to I the murder so mystery. I was so ready for the answer to the murder mystery, and we get freaking Grimboar. Oh, and yeah. also we, oh we find out that in the year uh, 2078 in the year 2778 uh, that there is a bridge to Europe. Mm -hmm. You can actually drive to Europe if you want. It's going to take you a couple of days. Hopefully there's some rest stops along the way, but you can drive to <laughs> Europe from uh, from the uh, from the east coast of the United States. Or, I'm sorry, the east coast of the North American continent, as it's described in this book. Exactly. And in, you know, the 30th century, cars have built-in resting facilities. Ew, gross. How is that gross? You know, it's a built-in restroom facility. But it is good to see the Legionnaires involved in, you know, the equivalent of a little, uh, you know, cat up a tree action. Colossal yeah, the, Boy holding up the bridge with his back and Sun Boy welding it with his flame powers. Until the ESS arrives, which I'm guessing is the uh, the Electrical Space Society or whatever they are, kind of like the, the uh, Science The Earth Police. Emergency Service. The oh, is that what it is? Okay. It's um, pronounced ease. Yeah, they show up and they're like, thanks, kids, we'll take over. Uh, by the way, uh, light. Uh, let's uh, get some heat vision right here and seal this we weld. Um, it's just kind of silly. They've already taken care of it by the time the EES arrives. Anyway, the president has been manacled trapped in a locking device that nobody can undo not even the legion of superheroes that can only mean one thing grimbor is back or as we like to say in comics historian will grimbor <sighs> yeah i, I don't like this guy anyway he comes and he and he captures all the legion members including superboy uh and he's there to seek his revenge because the last time that we saw Grimbor, which I was really hoping was going to be the last time that we saw Grimbor, um, <laughs> be nice. He uh, he and his and his girlfriend uh, Charma uh, both got thrown into prison. Now uh, Grimbor got thrown into inescapable prison. Uh, right. Charma got thrown into uh, women's maximum security. Now, if you remember what Charma's powers were, she yes. has the power to manipulate men's minds and get them to do whatever she wants. But that power also comes with a negative and that yes. is all women hate you yes basically we just find out in this issue that Sharma was torn apart 
by people in a prison because of her powers. And that is, that is like Chris Claremont days of future past. <laughs> That's like charma karma. That is messed up. I don't even think it's karma. I mean, she's a villain, but being, you know, being basically beaten to death in a prison no, because no, no, your not, powers work. Not, not beaten to death, torn apart. Uh, I don't like it. I just, I just, I just see that I her powers, like you know, just go into overload and she just goes out to the yard and the women just literally swarm her and tear her to pieces. Yeah, it's like the end of uh, The Obsolete Man from that Twilight Zone mm-hmm. episode. It's just, oof. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't like it. Yeah. Anyway, the Legion have to work together to figure out how they're going to uh, yep. get out of their, their manacles, which they do, at which point they realize that the president really isn't trapped. He's really kidnapped. So then they right. go after Grimbor and then they save the president. Hooray! That well, story is, is over. The best part of this story There's is... There's a best um, part? Yeah. Uh, it's President Kendrew. Uh, is how he's identified in this issue, which that's a different spelling, right? That's a different guy. Well, no, it's not a different guy. According to official continuity, depending on who you trust, uh, Ken drew, uh, is officially, uh, continuity wise, Kendro Boltax, who we remember seeing back in the universal stories. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I believe under Gallifreyan law, this is the third Kendrew because initially we saw him as a kind of a tall, thin Caucasian man with black and gray hair. And then we saw him as a fatter Caucasian man with a long white beard. And then he became a dark skinned man with a long white beard. And the coloration was such that it indicated, um, slight tones that make me say seventies bronze age comics that he was meant to be Indian from India. Yeah. And then in this issue, he appears with kind of a more standard brown skin tone and a long white beard, but we will see him again, not too long down the road. Well, he'll, he will return to being a Caucasian guy with salt and pepper I, hair. I'm telling you, I'm telling you, he is just like Chameleon Boy and R.J. Brand. He's a shapeshifter. Not everyone is a shapeshifter, Stephen. Okay, all right. So here's another possibility, okay? Okay. Hear me out on this. Okay. Do you remember Saddam Hussein? I mean, not personally, but do you remember Saddam Hussein? Yeah, we went to a... No. No, I don't. <laughs> so... Please, please one, explain. Show one your of the here. One of the crazy stories that you heard about Saddam Hussein is that he had doubles all over the country that looked kind of like him. At times there are people that are like, that's one of Saddam Hussein's lookalikes. And you could tell that it's not Saddam Hussein just by looking at the guy. You're like, that guy's not even, that guy's not even Middle Eastern. Right. Uh, But the reason why he was doing this was because he was trying to throw off, you know, people that were out to assassinate him. So by having all of these duplicates running around, there would be like, where's Saddam this week? I don't know where Saddam's at this week. Is he over there? Is he over there? Look, we just saw a sighting of Saddam driving around in that car. Oh, wait, that wasn't him. That was one of his lookalikes. He must be somewhere else. Maybe that's what President Boltox is doing. But don't the lookalikes have to actually look alike? Like I said, I mean, if, you go, if you go and look at some of the Saddam hey. Hussein lookalikes, they look nothing like Saddam Hussein. Yeah. Actually, no, the best part of this first story is uh, a little side story or a little bit of dialogue where Cosmic Boy misses his friends. <laughs> uh, I hate these rules. And it's not that he misses his friends. Okay, don't you? I think you're misreading I, this. He's like, he's like I miss Imra and Garth. And but I'll why? Never no. Why does he miss them? Because that's the whole point of him being Mopey, Mopey McMope Mope. <laughs> he misses his friends. Now, granted, he misses no. his friends because he's never going to quit the Legion and marry. Uh, he misses his like friends because of the bylaw that says you can't be married and still be a member of the Legion. That's why he misses them because of that stupid rule, because he's never going to quit the Legion, which means right. he can't get married to to Night Girl. To Lita. Exactly. But he misses. That's his the friends. whole point. It's not that he misses his friends. I am angry at this. Well, he needs to go to therapy where it will be revealed that I am angry at this stupid bylaw that doesn't allow me to get married and still be in the Legion. And if that were that stupid bylaw weren't there, my friends would be here. And then he cries. And then the therapist pats him on the back and says, this is called catharsis. This is good. This is called projection. <laughs> I mean, see, me, cosmic boy misses his friends. And you're like, well, it's clearly sublimated rage. I mean, when you, he tells, he explains why he misses them and says, I can't get married because of this stupid bylaw. That's, that's well, the real thing. Bylaw. 
So I'm glad he misses his friends. I mean, if only there were a a governing group within the Legion of Superheroes that could change the bylaws. Well, the problem is that it takes a founder and he's the only one left. (laughs) I mean, he can do it, right? He's the majority of all the founders. That's true. Uh, And, you know, some others. But anyway. Yeah, there's some people there. Yeah, no, that is the uh, that is the 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 dopiest, mopiest bit in this Uh, this whole issue. I liked it. I thought it was nice. Anyway, what happens? Oh, uh, the Grimpor and the president saved. Hooray. Boom. Your colossal boy has no sleeves theory takes a hit in this issue, too. Why is that? Because Colossal Boy gets really huge and punches through a wall with a forty foot long fist, and he's still wearing sleeves. Did you not read? Did you not read the um, the letters column that was in the previous month in the previous issue in two thirty nine? There was a letter oh, oh, where tell someone me, tell me what it says. There was a letter. I think it's from Gladys <laughs> from Poughkeepsie, who was from like, Poughkeepsie. "Have you ever noticed that that Colossal Boy uses his sleeves when he grows to giant proportions? Why is this? Why why are you guys doing this?" And then the editor Paul Levitz actually wrote back and was like. Actually, Colossal Boy has famous stretching material. We have had stretching material since the beginning of time. I know there's another company that is trying to to claim that they have some kind of magical particles in their clothing that allows them to stretch. But we are the ones that did it. Case in point, look to the next issue. Sign Paul. And right. that I is why here, yeah, see, I, I'm surprised. It's, I mean, it's a very little letter. It's a very last one. It's very easy to miss if people aren't paying attention. Sure. Sure, sure. So anyway, that story ended. Yeah, and then we can go into uh, how racist can we be? I see the racism here is okay. So second story in this issue is the origin of Dawnstar. As we mentioned, it really isn't isn't really like an origin. I mean, she she tells us how she got her powers. Origin of Dawnstar's people. Yeah, I guess. And it's it's a step up from Tyrock in that you know the Amerins who who went and basically went and uh, to Starhaven and created their new planet and basically colonized it aren't all the the Native Americans in the universe. They are just some of the Native Americans who went to another planet and created Starhaven. And then Dawn Star says, I am the result of centuries of inbreeding. And I'm know, like, right? it's just like, I would not be proud oh, of that. Dude. It's like, why would you why would you say that? That just makes that just makes things even worse when you're talking yeah. about a Native American culture and inbreeding. Well, and the eugenics aspect of it once again pops up because we see this sometimes in the Legion where uh, even especially in the Archie Legion, where the people of the various planets who all have yeah. their powers, the Braelians with their magnetism, the right. Tharites with their polarism, they all get these powers because of this weird Lamarckian theory that if you go to a, a hot planet, you'll learn to emit cold from your butt. Yeah, yeah. And well, no. I, so I, I, you know, I imagine at some point in the future when we are uh, risen up to join the Galactic Empire, uh, people will look at us and say, "Oh." You're all earthlings and you all bred with one another. Ooh, ah, look at all the inbreeding that's been going on on Earth all these years. All these earthlings breeding with one another. Ugh, gross. And so, you know, 5000 years from now, there'll be two two dorks sitting around talking into their intergalactic uh, microphones about uh, how stupid it was that uh, earthlings were inbreeding with one another. The earthlings were inbreeding. Do you understand, Squarce Block, how strange and creepy that is? If only they would have uh, mated with me. I think uh, Blorky Blork is very sexy in her costume. Have a have a. Well, I think that, you know, of course, <laughs> I reproduce by splitting it too. Um, yeah, so, I mean. Hey, speaking of creepy attraction, how about Wildfire in this issue asking out Dawnstar? I don't think that's creepy. It I, is I honestly creepy. don't. I don't because he's like, um, uh, you know, hey, uh, Dawn Star, uh, if you're not doing anything later, maybe we could do something. She's like, I'm not having any of your BS, man. And then she leaves and he's like, I just wanted to be friends. He comes in like Sergeant Hartman in full metal well, jacket. Because and he's like, Private Dawn Star, what is your major malfunction? No, it's and not that he like comes to in. Go to dinner? It's not that he comes in yelling at her specifically. It's because she is. Why is she in with the with the recruits? I thought she was a full fledged member of the Legion. This story uh, later on, and remember, this is one of those weird moments in Legion history. Supposedly, this is a flashback to before Dawnstar officially joined the team in 226. So officially, this story is before Dawnstar joined and before Wildfire is actually leader. 
Yeah, so but he comes in and he's busted. He's no busted the privates. Of that in this issue. And then once everybody, once everybody's, yeah, that was the problem. I was like, why is she still in the yeah. in the recruits group? Because who else is in and, the recruits? We got Night Lad. Uh, actually, that's Shadow Kid. In oh, this Shadow case. Kid. Okay. This is one of the weird issues because Shadow Kid is also Shadow Lad, or he's called Shadow Lad in this issue. When we first met him back in the uh, the uh, Universo's super prison, mm-hmm. he was known as Shadow Kid. He's Shadow Lass's cousin. Right. But again, in this issue, they say he's Shadow Lass's little brother. Essentially, there's a lot of confusion around Shadow Shadow Kid. But interestingly, he actually predates Shadow Lass. Interesting. Yeah, because he first showed up as a side character, and they're like, oh, we're just going to have him show up again. This issue, I think, was written with the expectation that he was not the same character. Mm. But then later, people have sewn it all together, kind of like the way they said, hey, this story's a flashback. And uh, Laurel, Laurel, Laurel Kent, Kent, right? So we've met her before as well. She's the invulnerable descendant of Superman who is a dead ringer for 70s Lois Lane. Mm-hmm. Uh, dressed like a, a disco Nazi stripper. Now, now listen, Laurel mm-hmm. Kent. Yes. Um, I know that times are different and there was a time where it was quite common <laughs> for people of the same sex to share a bed together without any hanky pankies going on. Right. Right. You would go, uh, uh, you know, a class trip or something. They got a hotel room for your class trip and mm-hmm. you and the other roommate had to share a bed or something. You stay on your side. I'm going to stay on my side. Don't touch me. Right. Right. Uh, totally fine. Is that what's going on with Laurel Kent and and Dawnstar here? Because it looks like there's only one bed in this room and Dawnstar gets naked and crawls into bed. It's not clear if there's only one bed because of the way the scene is blocked. We never really get an establishing shot of the bedroom. We get a, a one shot of Dawnstar undressing and then we get somebody breaking the 360 rule. So I feel that this is like probably a future dormitory where there's a bed for Dawnstar and a bed for Laurel. That's what but I was in that thinking. First shot, when we see Laurel's bed, Dawnstar's bed is out of shot. And then yeah. when they change perspective, Dawnstar's bed, but you know, I, I, I wouldn't say that it's common, but I do know when I was in college, there were girls who uh, lived together in a room and didn't have any problem being naked around each other. No, no, no. I, I was just implying uh, that they were sharing the same bed together. Well, you know, if and again, a couple there. different, different time. And that was going to be the next question is, you know, is there another reason why Dawnstar is pushing away wildfire beyond the fact that he's a creepy jerk? That's an interesting question. I don't think that Dawnstar had any canonical, uh, in this iteration relationships with women, but I don't know that Laurel had any canonical relationships because Laurel starts out as a plot point, becomes a bit player, and eventually turns into an even bigger and dumber plot point. Uh, she's a manhunter. Oh, of yes, the but, of the old uh, pre-Green Lantern manhunters? Guys. Oh, yeah, there you go. But she got lost in time-space intervention. So, oh, okay. Yeah, but we do get, you know, Jim Sherman drawing a half-naked Dawnstar. I mean... I'm not complaining, but I was just, I was just like, well, that's kind of surprising. Also, there's some, there's some, uh, some uh, surprising language that pops up in here that maybe you wouldn't want your child to read, you know, dams. There's a couple of dams that pop up into this issue. Um, a heck fire and I, a heck fire, a heck fire I think pops up as well. Um, oh, we forgot the other recruit, the first appearance Powerboy. of Jed Rickane, power boy. Yeah. Uh, the purple skinned guy in the yellow shirt who will appear for the next 15 years as the purple skinned guy in the yellow shirt never makes it into the Legion, but eventually his boyfriend gravity kid does. Mm. So that's kind of nice. He's going to be jealous. Power boy never makes it to the Legion. Uh, there's nothing like worth reading in this book. I liked the second story. It has not aged well, but it is not as overt. I was just waiting for more, you know, if, you know, son boy, how did you get your powers? My dad threw me inside of a microwave and cooked me. Dawnstar, how did you get your powers? Thousands of years of inbreeding. (laughs) Stop. It's not that bad. Okay. It's not as bad as, you know, the fetishization of Japanese culture that we got from Karate Kid's origin. It's certainly not as bad as the the weird separatist island of uh, Marzal. I don't think it's even necessarily as bad as those, you know, 
strange silver age moments where we're just like, oh, Supergirl, if only I could just marry you, even though I know you're my cousin. So I liked the second half of this issue. I like the Sherman art. I feel like the story ends with a nice hook because if you presume that this takes place before Dawnstar joins the Legion, it, it ends with her learning a little bit about teamwork, hanging out with her new friends and saying, I want to stay with the Legion with my friends. Because in the beginning of the story, she's like, I'm only in this for the money. I mean, you, you guys are paying me. That's the only reason I'm hanging out with all you jerks. And so I, I kind of appreciate seeing that little bit of character and then some actual heroic impetus. That's a good word. Some heroic impetus from Dawnstar in this. And honestly, Sherman is really good. Even if I'm like looking at these and going, wait, what's going on in this panel? Every panel is really cute, really cool to look at. And, you know, purple guy with a yellow shirt. That wraps it up for this installment of the Legion Clubhouse. Matthew, what did we learn this week? We learned that if you want to make Steven mad, just imply he's not a shapeshifter. How dare you, sir? Everyone knows that I am not a... Well, shoot. I better not uh, reveal my... He who doth protest too much. Mm. (laughs) Oh, wait. We also learned a thousand centuries of inbreeding. (laughs) And finally, we learned that she's only in it for the money. Thank you so much for joining us this week. Uh, We'll be back next time to talk about some more Legion Clubhouse uh, stuff. In the meantime, go check out our Patreon page, patreon.com slash major spoilers. We certainly appreciate your support. Hit us up on the Twitter. I know you're going to send out some corrections. We love uh, hearing all the messages that you send us uh, in corrections, additions, etc. Very much worth it. We do appreciate it. And uh, until next time, I am not Chameleon Boy. And I'm Shapeshifter Denial Lad. The Legion Clubhouse is a production of Major Spoilers Entertainment, LLC, and is produced by Steven Schleicher. Your hosts were Matthew Peterson and Steven Schleicher. You can follow Matthew at Mighty King Cobra and Steven at Major Spoilers. You can follow this podcast on Twitter at Legion Clubhouse. If you have questions or comments, send them to podcast at Majorspoilers.com. I'm Jason Inman. Until next time, eat it, Grandpa. For the ones who get it done, the most important part is the one you need now. And the best partner is the one who can deliver. That's why millions of maintenance and repair pros trust Granger, Because we have professional-grade supplies for every industry, even hard-to-find products. And we have same-day pickup and next-day delivery on most orders. But most importantly, we have an unwavering commitment to help keep you up and running. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.